Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. We now join our senior associate pastor, Dr. John Light. Good evening, everyone. This is our second of seven Lenten services culminating on Holy Thursday. These times of worship are a special opportunity to meditate on the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ and to be reminded of his saving love for us and to bow in adoration and praise as we come together. We hope that these times of corporate worship are a means of grace that God uses in your life to bring to your heart anew the glory of Jesus Christ and the wonder of the gospel. Our scripture text this evening is Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. As you probably know, our Lenten series is on the theme, Watch and Pray. Familiar words. We think of Jesus in the garden calling the disciples to watch and pray. And so these sermons are aimed at encouraging us as believers to seek God regularly and earnestly in prayer, which we know is part and parcel of the Christian's life and experience. It's only fitting then that we consider this parable of the persistent widow that Jesus gives us in Luke 18. Sometimes it's titled the parable of the unjust judge. But in either case here, Jesus gives us a powerful lesson and a powerful encouragement to keep on praying. Hear the word of God, Luke chapter 18, verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while, he refused, but afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Father, give light to our eyes as we look at your word and seek to understand it. Through Jesus Christ, amen. Don't we all find it hard at times to persist? persevere in prayer. It may be that we're praying for a health issue or a financial provision for some need or future direction in a career choice or in a relationship. It may be we're praying for a child who has strayed from the Lord or a situation of of brokenness and conflict in our extended family. Or it may be a, a wider kingdom issue in the world, maybe 
uh, urgent needs and situations with missionaries we support. We just heard about some of those this weekend at our missions conference. Or especially the hardships of our persecuted brothers and sisters in many nations around the world. We probably all think this week and last week immediately of the people and the church in Ukraine with what that country is experiencing. We cry out for God's mercy and grace to be with them as the bombs are falling and the suffering is tremendous. And you hear the stories of people walking and hitching a ride for days and days after they've fled the bombs and still with planes flying overhead. And we join with the martyr's cry under the altar in Revelation 6, verse 10. O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? That cry, how long, is a familiar scriptural theme. We see it in the Psalms. You see it elsewhere. We see evil seeming to triumph. We see God's people oppressed. We see the weak crushed by the strong. So often that's the case in this world. And we look for God to arise and to hear and answer our petitions. We pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But as we look at the state of the world, it's easy to wonder, is God listening? Does God hear? Does God care? Will God act? When will God act? Well, the Bible has clear and strong answers to all of these questions I've just mentioned. And here in our text, we learn part of the answer. There are answers elsewhere. We're not going to go into all of them. Jesus tells this parable, and he does something here that he doesn't always do. He doesn't typically do with the parables that he tells. He gives us the key to the parable, we might say the lesson to the parable, at the very beginning in verse 1. It's, it says there, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So that's the lesson that the parable is telling us. It's giving us encouragement to help us to keep praying and to not lose heart. What a comfort this is. What a help this is. How gracious is our God to give us such help and support in our weak and humble efforts to raise our petitions to him in prayer. And don't we all feel how weak we are in persevering in prayer? The overall point of this parable is this. We can trust our loving, wise, and just God to hear and answer all our prayers in his best way and in his best time so we can keep praying. I'll repeat it for emphasis here. We can trust our loving, wise, and just God to hear and answer all our prayers in his best way and in his best time so we can keep praying. We want to look at this passage under three points that tease out that main theme. The problem of delay, number one. Secondly, the promise of God. And third, the call to persist in prayer. I don't often have alliteration like that, but I thought that was pretty good. It just happened. The problem of delay, the promise of God, the call to persist in prayer. First then, the problem of delay, verses two through five. And here we see 
the two characters in this parable. There's the widow and there's the judge. The widow is apparently facing a situation in which she needs justice. There's mention of an adversary, but we don't know anything about her particular situation. We just know that she's not getting justice. The Old Testament law had special concern for widows and for others who were easily the objects of oppression or abuse. It's noteworthy that in two chapters from now, in Luke 20, 47, Jesus is going to warn of the scribes as those who, quote, devour widows' houses. Here's a widow coming to Jesus. By devour, in case you don't understand, he means that these scribes, who were the elite of society in many ways and were supposed to be the ones following the law, they were taking these widows' houses some way, apparently, and I'm sure justifying it before the law. And in this parable, Jesus doesn't give details, but the widow needs the judge to rule justly in her case, and so she keeps pestering him. We don't know whether she's knocking at his door every day or what, but often. And then the other character, then, is the judge. And in verse 2, Jesus describes him with these two phrases, who neither feared God nor respected man. And that's repeated in verse 4. The judge himself says that. I neither fear God nor respect man. Now, this is not a positive description, is it? He didn't fear God. That means he certainly didn't see himself as accountable to God. Historically, in the United States, when you swear on the Bible in the court, that was only accepted if you believed in God. Because if you didn't believe in God, there was no accountability in your own mind and heart. So you could lie all you want. This judge didn't fear God, and he didn't respect man. In other words, he was uncaring and unloving to the very people that he was supposed to protect and give judgments for according to his office. As we will see, this judge, with his ungodly character, stands in sharp contrast to the just and loving character of God. This parable is not saying that God is like this judge. And so this judge keeps putting off the widow. Apparently her case is some kind of work for him, and uh, he can't be bothered, or whatever the reason is. He lets all of her calls go to voicemail, and he doesn't return them. But she just keeps on coming. And I love the way Jesus describes the solution that finally dawns on the judge in his mind in verse 5. Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice. so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Poor judge. He's being beaten down. Life is so hard for him. And I can just uh, hear his audible sigh uh, when he sees her coming to his house. I will give her justice. You can imagine all of Jesus' hearers As he tells this parable, you can imagine them chuckling under their breath, you know, at this judge and his solution. Well, the problem of this parable, what is it? It's the problem of delay of justice. And even though the widow eventually gets justice, it takes her a lot of effort. It takes time and perseverance, but eventually she wins her case. Now, as I said, Jesus' point is not that God is like this judge 
And so the Christian has to beg and bug God until he hears. No, just the opposite. God is righteous and always ready to hear his people's cry for help. And God is said in contrast to this judge. But the point of the parable is that believers are called to be like this widow in their persistence in bringing their concerns to their loving Heavenly Father. Because often there will be delay, especially from our limited earthly perspective. In verse 7, when Jesus is giving the lesson from the parable, he asks, speaking of God, will he, will God delay long over them? He's talking about his elect who cry to him day and night. Isn't that putting the finger on the problem that we so often feel? Maybe we don't articulate it in our minds because we know right theology. Or we might see it, say it, at least the apparent problem. Our timetable for answered prayer is so often not God's. And what happens when we pray and pray and sometimes for years? I'm sure many of you have people that you're praying for for years. And we seek to wait patiently on the Lord, but as we pray, what can easily happen? We can easily lose heart. We can easily get discouraged. We can easily give up praying and trusting and resting in our Father's purposes. And at times, we can begin to doubt our Father's care. Or at least we can grow distant from our Savior because we're no longer bringing our petitions. We've given up. And this brings us to our second point, the promise of God. The promise of God to answer prayer. We see this in verses 6 through the first half of verse 8. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. What a wonderful lesson Jesus draws. That's one to learn by heart. Jesus is making his point from an argument to the, from the lesser to the greater, we would say. The lesser is the judge and how he acted and this widow coming to him. And the greater, obviously, is God, who's very different from the judge. We might also call this a how much more argument. If this evil judge gave this widow justice, how much more Will God give to his elect justice who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay? No, he will answer speedily. This is the powerful promise of God for his people as they intercede, as they petition the throne of grace for the needs in their own lives and their family and the life of the church and for the kingdom of God to come around the world for missionaries who are suffering in many nations of the world. God will hear speedily. He will answer. He will grant his people justice. Now, this promise brings up the apparent problem of unanswered prayer. And I'm sure you've heard sermons about that. I say apparent because there is a sense that God answers our prayers even when the answer is no, or maybe not in that way that you're asking and imagining, or 
maybe not until glory. But in that sense, God always answers his people's prayers. Listen to how the Westminster Shorter Catechism defines prayer. Question 98 and answer. What is prayer? Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sin and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. What a beautiful description of prayer. But think about the first part of that, that definition, an offering up of our desires unto God. So many of the things that we pray for, we believe are according to the God's will for people to be saved, for people to be sanctified, for children to grow up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord loving him, for the church to bring the gospel to the nations. But does that mean that our desires are always wise or that they are without sin? No. And our desires might be well-intentioned, but they may be mistaken or short-sighted. And we certainly say that we can't see as God sees. Who knows what his purposes are for the church in Eastern Europe right now? How would somebody a hundred years from now look back and see, oh, look how God worked if the Lord doesn't come until then? We are not omniscient. We do not know what is best. No wonder the catechism includes the phrase right after an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will. How wise they were to put that there. Think of our Savior praying in the garden saying, Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Now, pop quiz. Did the father answer that prayer? Kids, it's a trick question, just in case you're wondering. Because we all know, well, the answer is, yes, the father heard that prayer. But not in the first way Jesus put it, let this cup pass from me. The father didn't let the cup pass from Jesus. The father answered the son's prayer But by doing the ultimate will of God and accomplishing salvation by pouring out the wrath of God, the full cup of God's wrath on the Son, on the cross, something the Son willingly suffered for his people's sake. This precious promise of God to hear and answer speedily is to always hear and answer the cries of his elect and to give them justice Speedily. The thing is, that word speedily, isn't it? It's a word that we must understand not according to the way we interpret that word. Like we want the situation in Ukraine to be answered yesterday and everything to be fine. But God's purposes may not be that way. That word has to be interpreted according to God's perspective. We're studying through Second Peter Sunday evenings, and we're just about at that verse in Second Peter 3, 8, and 9, where Peter is saying, With the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Verse 9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. There's the redefinition of speedily. God is never slow. God is always on time. And we know that, but don't we struggle with that? There might be delay from our perspective, but God's promise will always be fulfilled 
for his glory, for his people's good, for the furtherance of his kingdom according to his wise and holy will. And we know that's the case. Reminds me of the words of Romans 8.32. It's another verse that is a how much more kind of verse. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? There it is. If God didn't spare his own son, but gave him up on the cross and the son willingly suffered, how much more will God not give us all things? There's the promise. How much more sweeping can you get? God will give his people all things. The assurance of the Bible is that God withholds no good things from those who are in Jesus Christ. In this life, you may suffer greatly. You may be put to death for your faith in Christ, but God gives you all good things in himself. That's the promise of God for answered prayer in Jesus Christ. And that brings us to our final point, the call to persist in prayer. And it's interesting that the lesson of the parable is put at the beginning and at the end. We saw it in verse 1, that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. That's pretty clear. But it's also really at the end, at the the very end of verse 8, when Jesus tells them this lesson about speedy justice and then says, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's sometimes very confusing. Why suddenly this? But even though it's enigmatic, it's likely that this saying is not raising doubts of any kind about whether there will be believers on the earth when Jesus returns. No, the Bible is full of statements about the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised, and we shall be changed. The Apostle Paul clearly envisions that there will be believers on earth being transformed when Jesus returned and meeting him in the air. Really, it's not a question about whether there will be believers on the earth when Jesus returns. It's really a searching question for every hearer, everyone who hears this parable and what Jesus has just said, it's, it's exhorting them to search their own hearts. In a sense, he's saying, will the son of mine, man find faith in you? Will he find faith in me when he returns to administer perfect justice on the last day? And so we have to ask, am I trusting in Jesus Christ for the saving of my soul? Is there in my life one of the evidences of that faith, which is true, genuine prayer. Not just a formal kind of prayer that doesn't go to your heart. Is there prayer arising from you that gives evidence that you belong to Jesus Christ? As one saying puts it, faith is prayer resting and prayer is faith walking. I like it, how it shows the connection between faith and prayer. The two go hand in hand. And so Jesus is calling his hearers to examine their hearts. Are we trusting in him? And does that trust show up in a life of prayer? This parable has shown us that God is not at all like this unjust judge. But by contrast with the judge, we see three characteristics about God that shine forth as we think about persevering and persisting in prayer. We see that God is just. He's not unjust. He's just. God is exercising his just judgments in this life. 
all the time. His judgments, his righteous judgments, Romans 1 says, are being revealed, present tense, in this world. And we look at dictators and evil kings from the past, and now their palaces are dust and in ruins, and they are gone, and they have had to stand before God, and they await the last day. God is exercising his justice in the present time, and one day Jesus will return to judge the world in perfect righteousness. So if you are praying for God's kingdom to come, and if you see evil continuing to seem to triumph, don't despair. Keep praying, keep laboring for the gospel, because God, our God, is just. But also, unlike the judge, God is loving as well. Jesus speaks here about God's elect. Verse 7, who cry to him day and night. And that that idea of day and night is a frequent New Testament theme for regularly, often. It doesn't mean that every second we're praying, but it's regular. We're crying out to God and beseeching the throne of grace. And that concept of God's elect in the Bible is never intended as something controversial. We've made it controversial, or negative. No, it's always intended to be a truth of great assurance and consolation for God's people. It denotes God's love set upon us before the foundation of the world. And all those who trust in Christ have the certainty that they are chosen by God and loved by God before time. And so God delights to hear the prayers of his elect. What glory What mystery we have here. And so God is just, but he's also loving. Both of those two are in the character of God. And finally, unlike the judge, God is wise. It may look like delay, but we know from Scripture again and again that God is wisely working out all his holy will. Joseph, at the end of all those years, could say, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. There's the wisdom of God shining forth. Isn't God's wisdom a great comfort to us and an encouragement to us as we hold our petitions before him? And so we don't need to pester God, as it were, with our requests, as if he really can't be bothered. But if we, if we bother him enough, somehow he hear us. That's not what's being conveyed at all. No. On the cross, the Father turned his face away from the sinless Son of God, and the earth became dark. The Father turned his face away so that our God never turns his face away from his children, those who are in Jesus Christ by faith through his grace. Those are who are hidden in the rock of Jesus Christ. And so be encouraged, be encouraged in your and my lifetime calling as Christians to learn more and more to persevere in prayer. We never stop learning that lesson. It's the pathway of fellowship with the living God as we hold before him and entrust to him our needs. And as we come to him and pray for his kingdom to come more and more, on this earth. And if you've never prayed to God to confess to him your sin and need and to trust in the work of Jesus Christ, then I hope that even this evening or this week, 
or very soon to look to the cross of Christ and look to the resurrection of Jesus Christ and look to the lordship of, the, of Jesus Christ as he rules and reigns and one day will be visibly seen by all. Look to the cross and pray to him and he will assuredly answer. Amen. Father, we thank you for the precious promise of your word that we've read here. We thank you for the invitation that your people can freely come to you and that you've given us access and boldness by the Spirit to come to the very throne of grace and receive mercy and help in time of need. Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine and now many who have fled to other European nations. We pray for those that we get bulletins from every day who are talking about how they are helping them leave and providing for them and how everyone is so fatigued. Give them strength, O Lord. And we think of those who have fled and for those who are still hiding in basements and bomb shelters in various places. We pray that you would be with your church in this hour, in Ukraine, in Russia, in Poland, in Romania, in Moldova, in all these nations, in the United States, Lord. Let this terrible tragedy and evil as it unfolds be a call to awaken your church to pray. Help us, Lord, to pray in faith, looking to Jesus Christ. And we pray that if there's anyone here this evening who hasn't sought the Lord Jesus, who hasn't called out to you, who hasn't humbled himself or herself before you and and confessed his or her sins and cried out for salvation to Jesus Christ, we pray that you would open their eyes and that your spirit would give them eyes to see the kingdom of God and the glory of Christ. Thank you for your word. We praise you in Jesus Christ. Amen. The Westminster Pulpit is courtesy of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You are welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 8 or 11 a.m. To learn more or have questions about the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus our Savior, contact us at westpca.com. Thank you, and may Christ be glorified through this ministry, the Westminster Pulpit.